morning, church. I'm Pastor Scott. So glad to be with you here this morning in our fourth of, uh, and final of a series called What Disciples Do. And uh, it's been a real joy. If you call this place home, I would really encourage you to make sure you've heard all three of the previous messages uh, because they're so foundational. Oftentimes in organizations, and churches are guilty of this as well, we expect certain behaviors, but we don't always really teach the values. We say, oh, I wish people would come to church more, or we really want people to be in groups, but we don't always uh, unpack the why. And so the last three weeks, and today will culminate, we've talked about the why of how we want discipleship to look at Bethany North. Disciples gather. Sundays matter. It always has. It always will. There's this you know, question in our uh, culture, does church still matter more? You betcha, it does. Because what happens when the Spirit of God shows up and people show up, we're transformed together. We talked about what disciples do. They grow in smaller communities because though large gatherings are great, it's easy to be anonymous. And what we're called to, the scriptures tell us, is, is, is gathering around the word of God, about being known by others, confessing sin, encouraging, you know, bringing each other meals. That happens in smaller communities. So that's maybe one of our 32 connect groups. Maybe it's a men's group. Maybe it's old college friends. Yeah, whatever it is, find community outside of Sunday morning around the scriptures. You need that. And then last week we talked about what disciples do, they go. That we're always encouraged to be on a mission from the beginning. We're blessed to be a blessing. And we understand more of God's blessing in our life as we step out in active participation, speaking his name. Jesus' name is the name above all names. We don't go and speak our name or Bethany's name. We go and speak Jesus' name, both in unspoken ways and spoken ways. And so really focusing on the year ahead about what does it look like to just go into all the world? This last week was a real high, high point for this church in certain ways of going. We started our youth, uh, our youth group last week, last Sunday night. Over 50 kids gathered at Richmond Highlands Recreation Center from 6th to 12th grade. Yeah, we can celebrate that. That was awesome. That just kicked off last week. As well as Tuesday night, uh, Pastor Ruth and Alec Hill and some other uh, volunteers from Bethany, we, in conjunction with St. Luke's Catholic Church, started Alpha for the first time at Bethany North, uh, inviting people with questions around who God is and what the Bible is. So that launched on Tuesday night, uh, and we're really making a point of you know, inviting people that aren't here yet. We gave you this card today, uh, Sustainable Faith. That series kicks off next Sunday, where we'll be talking for eight weeks through the spiritual disciplines. And we know that there's people in your life that just need a Christian community, not people that already go to another church. Leave them there. We're talking about the people that just like, man, I, I, I want to go to a church that is trying to live out their faith. And so Pastor Richard will lead us off next week, Sustainable Faith, eight weeks, talking about the ancient spiritual practices how do we make them new again to bring life and vitality to our faith? God is on the move here, friends. And today I'm excited to unpack this fourth value that in discipleship that we are called to give. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for these moments ahead. Will you open the scriptures? Will you open our lives? We want to be more like you. And so do a work now that only you can do, Lord God. Open us up that we'd be your disciples. In your name we pray. Amen. What disciples do is your title this morning, Give, pretty simple. Uh, we're going to be talking way more than financially, but just under this ethos that we're called to pour out. Many of us in the room have been raised with the maxim, it's better to give than to receive. But the question is, is it? Is it truly better to give than to receive? Like, is that, is that a researched fact? And, and it is. Uh, 
recently, a researcher named Sonia Labersky, a professor at University of Cal Riverside, did a study in the organizational workplace environment of Coca-Cola. She took 100 uh, workers at a Coca-Cola facility, and she made them givers, these 100 people. And their goal was simple. Every day, they needed to give to three people in their workplace. Had, it could be anonymous or not. It could be monetary. It could be an act of service. It could be a card. But what they found was staggering. Because, though it's no surprise that in 16 weeks, all of the receivers, people that had received this kind of care in a happiness study, reported more happiness, more joy. What is pretty interesting to note is that the givers, all 100 givers at the conclusion of the 16-week study, also reported more joy, more hope. But then this is the part that I found really fascinating in the research study, is that the effects of the happiness study went viral where people at Coca-Cola that were neither a giver nor receiver reported working in a more joyful environment. And then this, they started to re, uh, research the families and uh, spouses and children of said employees, and the effect of happiness went viral into the community. It is a human a fact that as we give, we understand more joy and more hope. It is more blessed to, as Jesus says in Matthew 10, freely you've received, now give it away. Now, we'll unpack some of the how in a little bit, but oftentimes in Christian discipleship, we've taught giving is death. You know, come to faith and, you know, don't have material possessions, give it away. Don't, don't have any, you know, be unencumbered. And we've kind of laid oftentimes that, that guilty conscience thing on new believers that any kind of material possession is bad and so I must give it away. And it's, it's almost the shame thing. But friends, instead of this death sentence, I want to come at a different angle this morning. That when we give, it's what the Bible calls the life that's really life. The abundant life that every one of us in the room is united in our hunger for it. The life that we hunger for is found, says Jesus, as we give ourselves away. We understand more of who he created us to be. We activate the fruits of the Spirit. And the, and the fruits of the Spirit, these gifts, they flow when, when we're giving away out of a place of gratitude. Gratitude becomes the linchpin to being able to give more. Because people that know that they've been given a great gift, they, they have this ability to give it away. And so our big idea this morning is a simple one. Our ability to bless Christ will flow directly from grateful hearts. That our life belongs to him and we'll experience joy and hope and peace as we give ourselves away. The fourth value we want to teach that disciples do this year is real disciples give. Let's look at the first point of your outline. It's in your bulletin. The first point of the outline is simply this. Jesus models the way to gain life is to give generously. From the beginning, Jesus modeled a life. The author and perfecter of our faith were constantly wanting to see Jesus because when we see Jesus, we see the real thing. We see the real life. And Jesus in his life modeled that to gain life was to give generously. That was what he was talking about in Matthew 5. Interesting here, Matthew 5, I'm sorry, Matthew 10, verse 5 through 8. Amy Beth just read it for us. Jesus says, Do not go among the Gentiles or to the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. It's striking to me because wasn't Jesus constantly uh, preaching to the Gentiles and, and to the outsider and to the good Samaritan? Aren't we constantly called to be crossing social divides? Jesus says, Start first with those closest to you. Go to the lost sheep of Israel and... and do a work and tell them, freely you've received, now give it away. 
And Jesus is teaching us this value that the real life we hunger for is as we, as we give more. For disciples, he's saying, for, for the people that call this home base. And we, could just, we can talk about a value that we often talk about here at Bethany North, that real ministry happens to those closest to us. That if we're out there giving to world vision, but the people in my own workplace don't know I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, we're not doing it right. Now, the people closest to us should be affected by our faith in Jesus Christ. So in our marriages, in our dating relationships with our children, the people, frankly, that it's the hardest to be modeling Jesus to are the ones that we're held responsible to start close in and then move out. And Jesus saying, this is what discipleship looks like. You've been given so much, now give freely. Jesus says, I gave my own life for you. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, Jesus, who was rich for our sake, became poor so that we could become rich. And this we could become in the Greek language is actually, it's called an heiress participle. It's actually being made rich. That the process of becoming like Jesus, here, Paul writes, is the process of becoming more rich. And how do we do it? It's because Jesus laid down his life for us. Every one of us in the room, whether we've been a follower of Jesus for 40 years or for four minutes, or we still got a question mark here this morning, everyone's saved by grace. Jesus says, I came to do a work for you, that you would become rich in the life that I am laying down on your behalf. And this is simply put the sanctification journey. We enter Christ's riches as we practice discipleship. So as we gather and as we grow and as we go and as we give, Jesus says, you're entering the life that's really life. I've saved you by my grace, says Jesus. You can't earn it, but as, you, as you're sanctified, as you step deeper and deeper into the discipleship journey, more of me, says Jesus, is unleashed into your life. It's the staggering uh, development of discipleship. Jesus releases more of himself a- as we receive it. And though our tendency, church, is to grab and clutch and hold, real life is gained as we give it away. Every one of us in the room, our tendency from the youngest of age, those of us around young kids, was one of the first words we use, uh, learn in our human development. Mine, right? Mine. Mine. And though we like to think that we're so far evolved from those days, many of us get stuck in this mine. My money. My time. My relationships. My dreams. My expectations. My hopes. And Jesus says, no, it's actually mine, says Jesus. I lay down my life on your behalf. And as you give yourself away, you'll experience more of my life in you because this is who I've made you to be. I've qualified you. Now, this staggering thing comes from Colossians 1.12. It's been wrecking me with joy all week. Paul writes this, Colossians 1.12, giving joyful thanks to the Father. You see the gratitude piece there, giving generously. The Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. That's really, really good news. And I want this word to pop off the screen to you, qualified. You've been qualified. You've been qualified. Not because of, you know, your American values, pull yourself up from the bootstraps, put yourself through school, work harder, get up earlier, stay up late, work, do, you know, produce, no, perform, no, 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 no. You have been qualified. Hello, my name is qualified. I love that. Because if you're like me, man, we get stuck in shame storms sometimes, right? Where the voice of the enemy is speaking words of disqualification into our life because of, you know, you know something that we're struggling with, somewhere that we've been, 
some failure in a marriage or in something with your parenting or something in, in whatever discipleship challenges you're facing right now, but the word of God has spoken on you, that you've been qualified. And so we give, not for the holiest, we give all disciples, even as we're in the process of becoming more rich like Jesus, we give because he has qualified us. You are not broken. You are not worthless. You are not something that someone else has spoken into your life. You belong to a father who has qualified you. And as you give out of that place, you speak that you're receiving. You are saying yes. When we view God as the one who qualifies us, our view of God will grow. And as our view of God grows, our gratitude grows. Because as, as our view of God grows, our gratitude grows because we understand he has qualified us by the work of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross so that we receive. Every day, it's Christmas. And every day, we say yes. And every day we're called to, to believe that God is the one doing that work in our lives. And many of us have this view, this view of the Father God that's been stunted somehow. Through either failure of our own, maybe failure of a father figure in our life, failure of a religious figure. Many of us aren't entirely sure how good God is. A speaker at Men's Malibu this spring was telling a story. When he was a child, he had this feeling like God was like, you know, kind of like the one hand behind his back, you know, come closer. And he was like, you know, he'd take a step towards God closer. And then he was scared that if he really gave God his whole heart, that God was going to do something horrible with his life. And he said, closer. And then as he stepped forward, God would be like, boom, you're a missionary going to Africa. I got you. You know, and he was like, no, I don't want to go to Africa. I'm scared of Africa. Like he was saying, I had this view of God that was stunted, that God was trying to send me to somewhere that I hated. To send me into a life that I was worthless. And his own issues, the speaker said, were so stunted by his view of his earthly father. Your God has qualified you. He is a good father. And as you give back and praise and worship to him, you are honoring that this gratitude, this generous living, you're saying yes to, to what Christ wants to do in you. Because if you've known you've been given a great gift, you will be grateful. I want to tell you just the uh, importance of gratitude in our spiritual life. I got to, uh, just a, an example from my own journey this last week. Last Sunday, we celebrated as a church seven years as a worshiping community. Felt very important to me as a person. Just, just feeling pretty grateful for that. And in the evening, as I mentioned, we launched Reach, our youth group, and showed up, dropped my kids off, and uh, really didn't have a role. It was my wife's birthday, so I was just trying to drop and get out of there. And and, uh, and then the kids started streaming in, and then parents were dropping off, and to see the joy of the kids and all these leaders coming out of the woodwork that are participating in the discipleship thing. Over 50 kids showed up in the Richmond Highlands Recreation Center, and I went around back where this church started seven years ago, last Sunday to the day. And I, as I pulled around back, I was the only one back there, and I, like the memories just came flooding over me of those early months of trailers and chairs and you know, all that stuff. Many of you were part of that journey. And I felt profoundly grateful because I knew like, God has done such a beautiful work in our church and through many of you. I, I'm like, man, Lord, you, you are so good to this church. 
Even that dozens and dozens of kids would gather on a Sunday night to learn more about Jesus. That wasn't the result of some genius strategy by a lead pastor. It was the work of God. Even this morning, as you all sang, I have profound gratitude for you, the church. And when we know that we've been given a great gift, it allows us to have a spirit we're able to give generously. You've received it, says Jesus. Now give it away. Let's look at the second point of our outline, this talk about more about gratefulness. Because when we're grateful, we activate the fruit of the Spirit. Every one of us in the room hungers for a life that Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit, which sounds a little bit like fruit of the loom, which has other connotations of, you know, let's leave it. But fruit of the Spirit, man, joy, fruit, uh, joy, peace, patience, righteousness, goodness, gratitude, self-control. Did I miss one? Probably, but it sounds good, right? That's the life we hunger for. How do we get there? Jesus says when you're grateful, you activate what the Spirit wants to do in you. When you're grateful for my life in you, says Jesus, you're more able to experience the fruitfulness that you hunger for. And many of us in the room have been raised or we struggle with some sort of scarcity mindset that if we give our time or our money or our energy or our hope, that we'll be let down. Or, or that somehow that will run out, that there's some sort of scarcity mindset that plagues much of the church in, in Western America. That's not true if you go to Africa. If you worship God in the, in the third world, they have this joy of the provision. They know God is provider. But here in the West, so we, many of us, we're worried we're going to run out. We worship a God, friends, who will never let us run out. He'll never let us run out. He will let things go dry at times, so we hunger for him. He will let, uh, you know, the fields go dry so we're hunger for more rain, but we will never die under God's watch. He will never let us run out. Look at this incredible story, 1 Kings 17, verses 7 through 16. This is an amazing story that just challenges the scarcity mindset square on. This is Elijah and the widow at Zarephath. Sometime later, 1 Kings, 7, uh, 1 Kings 17, verse 7, sometime later, the brook dried up. Because there'd been no rain in the land. And man, I could preach a whole message on that because so many of us have been sold some false narrative that in the life of faith, there's never dry lands. It's just not true. Now, even sometimes for God's people, the rain stops and the, and the lands go dry. And if you're here this morning and you feel like you're in the midst of dry times, hunger for more rain, hunger for more of God in your life. Do not believe that you'll never see fruitfulness again. But I digress. Sometime later, the brook dried up. There'd been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. Pretty audacious. In the midst of the famine, in the midst of the drought, God says, I want to be your provider. Because in dry times, we're hungrier for God to provide. And we can see more provision. And so if you're in dry times, though it's not fun, I've been there myself, the hunger can awaken more spirit in your life. So I'm not asking you quite bold enough to just be thankful for the dry times, but I am telling you to continue to seek out the Lord because he longs to provide for you and know that in this season, he's the provider. So Elijah goes and he says, this widow will provide for you. And so he went and he came to a town gate and a widow was gathering sticks. He called her and said, would you bring me water in a jar so I can have a drink? Pretty audacious to ask for water in the midst of the drought. And at once she was going to get it. And then he called, and bring me, please, a, a piece of bread. 
Like, that's amazing, right? It's like the, uh, the never-ending bread bowl at uh, Olive Garden. You know, here's Elijah. And, the, you know, bring me water and bread. Man, sometimes the life of faith, we need to be more audacious of what we're asking God for. We need to be more audacious of what we know God longs to provide with us for. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she said, I don't have bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So despair is very real in the life of faith. I don't know a lot about this widow, but our heart goes to her immediately here. Holy cow, they are in the very worst of spots when God sends Elijah. And notice, God asks of her to give while she's still in the drought. God asks for her to provide while she's still waiting for provision. And many of us in the room get stuck in this trap that as soon as my bank account gets bigger, as soon as this new job settles down, as soon as the baby grows up, like as soon as, then we'll step into the life of the church and get involved. Then, I, then I'll give back to, to the church or to what God's doing in some other organization. You know, as soon as, no, in the midst of the dry times, God asks her to give because if you want God to provide, here he says to the widow, in the midst of what you're hungry for, I'm going to ask you to give out. So Elijah calls her bread as surely as the God. She says, I don't have it. Only flour in a jar and olive oil in a jug. I, I want to die. And Elijah says, do not be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For, for this is what the Lord your God says, the jar of flour will not be used up, and a jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. There was food every day. But the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken to Elijah. I find that passage so encouraging. Because in the midst of what she's waiting for God to do, she does obey, and she does give back. And in the midst of what God was doing, God said, I will continue to provide. Some of you this morning feel like you're on your last leg. You feel like on your last bit of hope, your last bit of bread, last bit of fill in the blank. God's saying, stay with me and stay faithful, and I will continue to provide for you. And when we're grateful because we've received, we're cultivating a value of generosity. That generosity is born out of hearts that are grateful. If we're generous without gratitude first, we're just trying to do more. But if we're grateful for what God is doing, if he's providing for us and we can see that at work, then it bears fruit into generosity. But it's got to start in gratitude. Listen to this amazing story. Many of us have heard this, but hear it again from Luke 17. And this warning about ingratitude. Luke 17, verses 12 through 19. Jesus entered a village. He was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted their voice saying, Jesus, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan, and Jesus said, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? He said, Rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. There seems to be almost this double healing where all ten are healed on the way. The one comes back in a spirit of gratitude, and he's healed again. We don't know a lot there, but there's some extra measure of grace given him because he has a heart that's grateful. Can you see it? 
he becomes extra, like an extra recipient, a double healing. I don't know what it means. If it's spiritual along with physical, if it's more physical healing, maybe he grew six inches and could dunk overnight. I don't know. But like something beautiful happened there because he was grateful. And church, I've got a hard word to say to you. One of the greatest sins plaguing this church, our church, American church, is the sin of ingratitude. We're not ten healed, said Jesus. Where are the other nine? And I don't know about you this morning, but this, like at the first service, I couldn't even hardly read that because there's echoes of nineness in my life. Because Jesus has done a work in me, but I'm constantly on to the next thing I want him to heal, to do, to provide. It's why I keep a prayer journal, because I'm just... I'm stubborn-minded at times, and so I write a prayer journal so that when God moves, I can stop and give thanks. Because many, 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 many of us are in the room, we're just, we're on to the next, on to the next. God, could you heal this? Could you provide this? We're just out, you know, and Jesus is like, stop and give thanks. You're here this morning. You had something to eat. I came and died and came alive for you. You have life. Do not be like the nine. Be grateful. Because in that gratitude is life. Grateful for our material provisions. Grateful for the people in our life. Grateful for the storms we've passed through because we've not been ruined by them. Grateful by current temptations and battles because our scars become our strengths. Grateful for Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done in our life. We should wake up grateful. We should be the most grateful people in the world. How are you doing today? You should say, grateful. Because the Lord Jesus is doing a work in my life. And still can be dry times and still can be famine. But I'm choosing gratitude. In the midst of the struggle. This incredible story comes about in 2 Chronicles. I'm taking you back a little bit this morning. But 2 Chronicles, incredible story of of feeling overwhelmed. And again, we can be so guilty thinking that once this battle's over, then I'll give. More time, more money, however God is encouraging me. But listen to this amazing story in 2 Chronicles 20 that tells about King Jehoshaphat. He stood in the assembly He said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, this is 2 Chronicles 20, you don't have to turn that, I'll read it for you. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who's in heaven? They're outnumbered with people all around. You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand. No one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people? They have lived in it and built it a sanctuary. If calamity comes upon us, whether by sword or judgment, plague or famine, we will stand in your presence. And then Jehoshaphat, armies all around him, the, the people have said, a vast army is coming against you. They have no answers by their own strength. Second Chronicles 20, verse 12. Our God, will you not judge them? We have no power to face this army that's attacking. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Second Chronicles 20, verse 12. If you're in the midst of a battle this morning, if you're in the midst of a famine this morning, if you're hungry this morning, may this be your prayer. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you, God. You're the provider, and all we got is a little flour and a little oil, and we're gathering sticks, some of us in the room, and Jesus says, I want to fill you up. And as we turn our eyes towards the Lord, as we're cultivating a spirit of gratitude to give us to be people giving more, we're reinforcing the value of giving thanks. 
that we would be more grateful people, that we would not be like the nine. I've got these kids that I'm trying to raise. And, you know, every now and again, they act like, you know, inhuman beings to one another. And someone will haul off and hit the other kid or whatever. And, you know, I'll lose my temper. And it all is way worse than that. But I'll just, you know, abridge it for your sake, you know. And then I'll say to the one that has wronged the other, it's like, that was wrong. You know, and I'll say, what do you say to your sister? You know, and they say, sorry. That's not good enough. But, uh, you know, we'll start there. You know, and I've heard people say, like, well, why do we do that? Like, why do we force the apology? That's not a real apology. And I'm not telling you how to parent, but I'm telling you with my kids. Even, and I'll say, hey, that's not good enough. Like, say it. Sorry. And, you know, it takes a couple times. We'll probably do this for years. But I'm not going to give up teaching them the value that when we wrong each other, we apologize. And we name on and we forgive and we move. But we work to reinforce the value. And so when we work to reinforce a value of gratitude towards God, you're not going to get it right all the time. And you're probably going to be like me sometimes. You're going to be stuck thinking about the next disaster that might happen. It's like the chicken little effect. The sky is falling, you know. And God has brought you here to this day. He's been good to you. He'll provide for you. And I know you're facing storms and all sorts of real battles. But may you cultivate a heart of gratitude. For the God who has provided for you and qualified you. And that brings us to our third point here. That the call of Jesus' followers is to give generously. It is to give. Like we gather, we grow, we go, and we give. The scriptures are consistent. Acts 20, verse 35. I show you this kind of hard work. We must help the weak. Remembering the words of Jesus himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And so disciples are called to give generously out of Christ's gifts to us. Now, I need you to really tune in on this point because I don't want you to miss this. Because many of us in the room, man, you're not telling me anything new, Scott. I'm told to give at my kid's school and give at the office and give in the neighborhood and give, 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 should, 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 do, do, do. Like, that's the voice in my ears all the time. We as disciples, we give out of what Christ has given us. We can't Get those out of order. Christ gives first, we receive, and then we give. There's a recent article in Psychology Today called The Helper's High, Benefits and Risk of Altruism. That Social scientists have studied that when we help, as, as we give back, we literally release more uh, joy-inducing uh, chemicals in our brain. It's a, it's a thing, the helper's high. But the article warns that there is risk of altruism. There is a caveat to all this, the the author says. Not everyone benefits from altruism, from giving. For example, for those who are already feeling overwhelmed by having too many obligations, adding more, even if the intentions are positive, is not likely to end well. Now, as Jesus says in Matthew 10, we give only after we've received God's love. And so we in the room this morning, every one of us has an action step. Because some of us just are hungry this morning and are thirsty this morning and need to hear this word of qualification and the spirit of God that wants to give to you. And so let me give you all a gift. This is from Ephesians. Ephesians 3, verse 16, 19. For the hungry and the barren this morning, God's got a word for you to receive first. 
I pray, says Paul, that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I told the story last week of a friend of mine who did and went and gave and has felt totally disconnected from joy and from God himself. For the hungry this morning, may you receive the spirit of God. You don't have to, you don't have to fill out the postcard for me this morning if you don't need to. If you want to join us because, like, hey, I, I want to participate and this is my home base, then join us. But for those of you just hungry and barren this morning, Receive first, because if you give and do and give and do and you've not received the word of God speaking into your life, you're going to be more hungry in the long run. And for the rest of y'all, the Lord is telling you, give. It's a blessing, so give back. Four simple things to highlight. We could do more. Give your time. Acts 3 tells this amazing story of a disciple being willing to be disrupted and being willing to come out of his chariot. Many of us are slave to our schedules and phones, guilty as charged. Are we able to be disrupted by the child saying, hey, mom, can we play? By the person on the bus, hey, what time is it? By somebody in our workplace. The hope with these invitations is that you would, with this new sermon series next week, not give it to somebody like, hey, you should go to church, but you would hand it to somebody and say, will you come with me? Because there's people that are hungry in your life. Would you be willing to give your time? Or your possessions, for many of us that are homeowners in the room, that, that is the biggest thing we own in, in this world. Do we use our home as being a blessing for our neighborhood, for our kids' sports team? Do you open up? I know it's messier than you want. What possessions has God given you that you could use to bless others? Your money. Many of you have been tremendously blessed. May your bank accounts show your priorities. Give back what the Lord is doing in this church, in the parachurch, in different places around the world. May your money reflect your values. And finally, May you give relationship. We know that really, more than your money, more than even your time, people are hungry for somebody to be present in their life. So are you available? Are you relationally engaged? Are you Jesus at the wedding, taking the scraps and making it beautiful? Because when you give like that, church, your faith will be activated. Your life will be rich. And God will do a massive work of blessing in your life. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you so much for this church, your people, and how you're speaking now. As we turn towards communion, we pray that you would remind us that we are a qualified people, not by our own efforts or what we've given already, Lord, but what you gave on, on the cross for us. You gave your life in order to bring us life. And so, Lord, we celebrate this morning. Communion Sunday is Celebration Sunday. This is Gratitude Sunday. Lord, as we approach this table, we have grateful hearts. We will not be like the nine. Every one of us in the room, Lord, let us be a one. And whether we're hungry or we're ready to give, whether we need to receive or we're ready to pour out, we're, we're united as your church this morning. We're united under your teachings. We're united under your scripture. We're united under this offering of communion. You gave your life for us. Lord Jesus, this morning we're grateful. We give thanks. In your name we pray, amen. It's Communion Sunday. I'd like to ask our communion servers to step to the stations. In just a moment, we'll rise and sing, and when your heart is ready, 
We'll take communion. It's gluten-free bread everywhere, so don't worry about that. We do it in tinction style. Take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took the, the bread and he said, this is my body, eat it. And then he lifted the cup of wine and said, this is the blood of the new covenant, poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. I have a challenge for you this morning. As we get ready and we worship, may you think of 10 things you're grateful to Jesus for this morning before you approach this table. And when you approach this table, either verbally or unspoken, may you say, thank you, Jesus. And may gratitude be the mark of this people, this church, for God is doing a work in us. Let's rise and sing and be grateful and come forward. I'm giving you lots of things to do, but I believe in you. Let's continue in worship this morning.